John chapter 1. Our third, uh, and we had an overview as well, so our fourth time now in the book of John. If there's any with us, it's our Only Believe series. So important that we believe. We'll look at that, at that again this morning. John chapter 1, starting with verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and our ushers can put one in your hand. John 1, uh, starting with verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him, that being John the Baptist here, uh, and cried out, saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received grace and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Let's pray again. Lord, I ask for the anointing of Your Spirit as I teach Your Word. Lord, that You would refresh me, cleanse me. Uh, Lord, come upon me. Lord, I pray that You would refresh and cleanse and come upon Your people. Lord, that you'd open our eyes, soften our hearts, Lord, that we would receive from the one who came to dwell among us. The Holy Spirit, Lord, you would speak to us this morning. Remove all the distractions. Trample the enemy out of this place that we would hear from you, Jesus. Remove me from the equation that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This last section of text... Uh, from the opening 18 verses that we looked at back when we read the overview um, that kicked off this study series, this last section of text, uh, as I said then and will continue to say, all 18 verses are just a powerful and comprehensive view of who Jesus is and why He came. Who He is and why He came. You can keep reading these, and you should. We all need to draw nearer to Jesus than ever before. Keep reading it. But in review and in sequence, we saw Jesus described and ascribed as the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. Go back to verse 1. Uh, he was at the beginning, and He's the beginning of creation. He's the beginning of all life. The Word we also saw is also the light. We have light in this room, but uh, all light comes from God. God is light. The light at the dawn of creation. The light of the world. The light of life the light of our salvation. Thankfully, many, and many of you in this room, have come to the light. But sadly, many have also run from the light, haven't they? Many have run, run away from the light. And this world, uh, and this world needs the light of God, but it needs the Word of God. And this Word, the light of the world testified to, is testified by John, the cousin of Jesus. John is the one that heralds this. Uh, A.K.A. his name is known as John the Baptist. And John was given this, the, the distinct honor and responsibility to herald the beginning of Jesus' ministry, much as the angels did at his birth. In his public ministry, John would say, this one is coming. He is deity. He is breaking forth into the darkness, or through the darkness. And so the Apostle John continues here with this powerful itemization of Jesus' divine credentials. 
And he continues with John testifying of these credentials, which are divine and they're exclusive to Jesus. Wouldn't you say all of these things are exclusive to Jesus? Nobody else is before things. Nobody else is full of grace and truth. No other man that ever walked the earth fits the picture witnessed here, spoken of, written of, by these two men named John. We have John the Apostle and John the Baptist. Their name in Hebrew is Yohanan. We'll actually look at what that means next week. We'll look at a few more facets of their dual witness. We've got these two Johns, two hallmarks of the faith in the New Testament. But if you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, The Word Became Flesh. Aren't you glad the Word became flesh? Aren't you glad Jesus came? Aren't you glad he's literally in our presence? Look at these words from Cyril of Alexandria. The only begotten Word of God has saved us by putting on our likeness, suffering in the flesh, and rising from the dead. He revealed our nature as greater than death and corruption. What he achieved was beyond the ability of our condition. And what seemed to have been worked out in human weakness and suffering was really stronger than men and a demonstration that pertains to God. Only God could put on human weakness and show forth strength and power. C.S. Lewis said this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. He's speaking of what we now proclaim to the world, that Jesus is God come down to man. Without the incarnation, we can have no resurrection, can we? We can have no gospel. We can have no suffering on the cross and the empty tomb. That is the fulfilling of the mission of the incarnation. The incarnation has to happen, but the fulfilling of it is what Jesus accomplished. Let's look back at our text this morning and look at this first beautiful and straightforward proclamation of verse 14. Let's pray one more time as we open God's Word. If you're taking notes, we'll look at the Word beheld. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for your Spirit. Lord, we don't want these to just be words we read. I don't want them to be just words I preach and teach. Lord, we want to receive these deep in our soul, Lord, that you'd set us free from the bondage of things that even as believers we still have. We need you as much today as John and John did. And more, Lord. More than we recognize. More than we recognize when we came in here this morning. Lord, help us to receive your power, your grace, your strength, your truth, your spirit. We ask it in your holy name. Amen. The Word of God, let's look at verse 14 again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God, the Logos, the Spirit of God, the invisible God, became like us and came and dwelt among us. Can you imagine willingly stepping into a human body? And you young people don't know what we're talking about. You think, hey, what's the big deal? Once you get a little bit older, you'll not think that the body you've been given is such a great thing anymore. When you drag yourself out of bed with every fiber of your being 
like I did at five something in this morning after only five hours sleep, knowing I had two messages to preach. I'm like, I can't do this. But when you're young, I used to like get one hour sleep and could go all day in a hundred degree temperature when I did my summer job in college of framing houses. And I thought my body would last that way forever. It doesn't work that way. But Jesus stepped into this tabernacle of the flesh. Who would willingly be take on a body that sprains and gets cancer and all of this stuff? Now, of course, none of those things could touch Jesus. Why? Because he was sinless, but he put on human flesh. He still could bleed, couldn't he? The cross proved that. The word, the light, put on human flesh. And by the way, this bothered many of the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders. Why? Because they did not like the idea that God, hero Israel, who is one, that God in spirit would actually condescend to be a lowly man. Even though they were very prideful about their religious positions, they didn't, the God they wanted to serve, they did not want that God to come and put on human flesh. And yet Jesus is like, if I don't come in human flesh, any of his divine attributes when he took on human flesh, do we all agree with that? He did not forfeit any of his divine attributes when he put on the flesh, the human flesh, that is. He simply, but supernaturally, added to his attributes humanity, being a human being. Doesn't change. Back in uh, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and words were with God. Doesn't change that the Word is God. Doesn't change that he's also. 100% human, so 100% God, 100% human. And John states here the incarnation as empirical fact. Why? Because John saw Jesus with his very own eyes. John didn't need someone else to tell him. John didn't need someone to give him the Gospel of John. John wrote the Gospel of John. And by the way, he, he, he's the last bookmark of the gospel. We remember the first three were already written. He, there were already a testimony, but he was given by the Holy Spirit, John, give your eyewitness account. Now even if John never saw Jesus, it doesn't change the fact of the incarnation, but John is an apostle and an eyewitness, and I believe that John is a gift from God. I'm talking about the apostle John here, so is John the Baptist. Um, and back, matter of fact, both of them are gifts to be either believed or rejected. Even when John the Baptist preaches, we'll look at next week, people could say yes or no to his message, right? But the rejection is to our own destruction. John says that he dwelt with us, back in verse 14, he, he dwelt among us. The word here, it means to tabernacle with us. Remember in the wilderness, uh, God came and they built, God gave Moses, here's how you build out the tabernacle. The outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. And God would tabernacle among the people. The tribes were in an arrangement that was all around the tabernacle. It was at the center. And Jesus comes down and he centers himself in this earth. He tabernacles among us. He spent time among the apostles. And John says, we saw him, we beheld him. We beheld his glory. Now, a lot of times Jesus didn't display his glory, right? 
We talked about that he was among the world and the world did not know him. Previous verses, he could walk right past people and they had no idea he was walking past the one that could heal them of everything they had wrong with them. Any of you need Jesus to heal you from anything? He has that kind of power. It's part of his glory. It's part of his omnipotent power. The word glory in the Greek, the word is doxa, it means the following, splendor, brightness, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity. Interesting, dignity's in there. By the way, as Jesus is a leader, he is a leader with dignity. We have a lot of world leaders that do not have dignity with their preeminence, but he has preeminence, dignity, majesty, exalted. And interestingly, the word doxa can also mean grace. He's full of glory and grace, grace and truth. Now John not only saw Jesus in the flesh, he not only saw and heard Jesus' testimony of himself, but he also saw firsthand Jesus' sinless life. He would observe Jesus and never see Jesus make one single mistake. How many of you had a mistake-free week this week? You had a mistake-free week. It was the best week you had in 2020. You're looking back and saying, yeah, the most of the year I had a couple of minutes. This week was mistake-free. We can't even say that for a day, can we? That we're so much more flawed than we think we are. We never have a mistake-free day. Jesus, the apostles are watching like, does this guy ever mess up? Ever? No. Ever. Always the right response. I you know, remember the apostle, Lord, Lord, do you want us to call fire down upon them? Some people felt that way this week. Right? You know? <laughs> we don't even have that power anyway. They, they thought they'd, oh, Jesus beside us, we could probably pull it off. We probably could pull down fire from heaven. You know? We have the Son of God here. Never made a single mistake. Never had the wrong response. Never had the wrong attitude. Never grumbled. Never complained. Never a single attitude. Nothing. Pure. You and I, the closest thing we get to purity, well, we actually have one thing that's pure, and it's the Word of God you're holding. No matter how marked up, scuffed up, and everything, that is perfect. But we, we get a glimpse like fresh fallen snow. That's something that looks like perfection. Closest we can get. But if you're watching Jesus, they would have seen a sinless life. He saw also, John the Apostle would have also seen the depth of love, the authentic love Jesus had for his Father and for people. He saw it day after day after day, his love for people. He saw and heard the depth of Jesus' knowledge and understanding of the Torah and also the Tanakh, which is the, all the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis through Malachi, the Torah being the first five books. But Jesus expounded on them, and the, you know, everyone was like, how does he know everything about the law, every prophet, every jot, every tittle, as the scriptures say? All of it. Everyone that observes Jesus said he teaches as one who has authority. Like a different level of authority, he just strolls in the room in a humble manner, and but everyone realizes he knows something that we don't know. Matter of fact, he knows what everyone in the room was thinking. 
he saw Jesus temporarily unveil his glory. I'm talking about John the Apostle here. Remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, brighter than the sun. Now this, again, every time, you ever notice that, that you would think that they would stop being amazed at certain things? You're like, why would it shock them that he could do this next thing? You've seen him walk on water. Uh, but it just shows how fleshly we are. We can forget, I tell you all the time, you guys will forget this message by 4 o'clock this afternoon. Maybe you won't now, because I reminded that. But, uh, uh, but ultimately, um, they could forget, they could forget Jesus' glory and his divinity and his power. But then they get there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is shining brighter than the sun. They had seen Jesus heal thousands of people. They had seen him feed thousands of people. They had seen him walk on water which I still think is really, really cool. Um, they had seen him tell storms to just stop. That'd be awesome to do. You've seen the videos of people that uh, had that cruise that did not go the way they were hoping it would go, and they get stuck in a tropical storm, and, and you know, they're actually, the, the, the buffet is all on the ground, and you know, uh, fried shrimp are going everywhere, and people's wine glasses are tipping over and stuff. Jesus could just be like, stop. And everything comes to a complete calm. They witnessed him do that. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him raise the dead on at least three occasions that are recorded, the last being Lazarus, not including his own resurrection. And that's just a short list of the miracles that they observed. John's good friend, John the Apostle, he had a good friend named Peter. They were, they were tight. They would go together, and John and Peter were all you know, just hanging out together a lot. Even after Jesus, we see it in the book of Acts, after he went back to be with the Lord. But uh, they spent those same three years in ministry learning from Jesus. And along with the Apostle James, they were all on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Peter said in 2 Peter 1.6 that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying the same thing that John's saying. We both saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. Nobody can convince us. And that's why 11 of the 12 were willing to, well, even John was willing to have a martyr's death. Remember that they tried to boil him in oil and they couldn't kill him. They sent him to the Isle of Patmos. But the other 11 all died a martyr's death. Why? Because they were convinced they had seen the Son of God and he had redeemed them and changed them. Uh, but it was evident that his glory was unique in the history of mankind. Uh, a lot of leaders try and make themselves glorious. You know, Jesus didn't put on fancy robes. He didn't put on a gold crown. Uh, when I was in London several years ago, I got a chance to go uh, to several of the museums, and I literally saw one of the queen's crowns. It was about this tall, and it had, I want to say it had 18, somewhere between eighteen and 20,000 diamonds on it. It was unbelievable, and you're looking at it in this case, and there's security guys, you know, everywhere. In, in, you know, who would be dumb enough in the middle of broad daylight? To, but um, you look at that, and man tries to make himself glorious. Jesus didn't need to do any of that. He could just, on the Mount of Transfiguration, say, "Watch this," <laughs> and just the glory shines forth. He doesn't need diamonds. He doesn't need jewels or anything like that. He shines, but he had, a, he had a glory that was unique in the history of mankind, and only the Son of God that came from the Father could exhibit the kind of power, the kind of authority, 
but also the truth and grace will now turn to. So if you're taking notes, our second point that we want to look at, not only the word beheld, but the word preferred. So pick it up with me in verse 15. Uh, we'll come back to grace and truth in just a second, but John, verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. The Apostle John is now quoting John the Baptist. So we have these two main Johns in the, in the New Testament. John the Apostle, John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist dies a martyr's death the same time frame as Jesus. Um, doesn't live to be past his early 30s. John the Apostle is the oldest living apostle. He outlives all the other apostles. So they actually have the same name but a totally different calling. One, God says you're going to live all the way to the end and be a really old man. The other one, you're going to die young a martyr's death. But he's quoting John the Baptist here and as the forerunner to Jesus and his public ministry, John the Baptist is saying here emphatically that Jesus is the one he was waiting for. Of course John the Baptist had a ministry that was blessed and anointed by God. Hundreds and thousands came out to hear him. We'll look more at John's ministry next week. But uh, he's saying, no, this is the one I was waiting for, the one he was pointing to, the one for whom he would willingly step aside. And we'll look at more of that in the coming passages. But what John the Baptist says was and is precisely true theologically, but also chronologically in respect to John's life and Jesus' life. Remember, they were cousins, they were close in age, about six months apart. Both, you know, Angel said, you're going you know, to have a son, miraculous. But Jesus is God, John is just a servant of God. Jesus is God, there's the difference there. And so he's saying, he was preferred before me. Uh, number one, he testifies that the one coming, that Jesus is the one, I'm sorry, he testified that Jesus is the one that he was looking for, that could do things John couldn't do. Primarily, Jesus could take away sin. John can only tell you you have sin. Make sense? Somebody can tell you, hey, you have a big debt. Other people could pay it. Right? Some people can tell you, hey, yeah, I, yeah that's, that's a big bill you got right there. <laughs> this is our medical bill. It's $20,000. Well, I knew that. Someone else can pay it. There's a big difference. And so John says, I can tell you your debt, he can pay your debt. John could point to, no, no, this is the one that I'm waiting for. Number two, that when Jesus is revealed, he would have a much higher place of honor than John. John had his role, but Jesus is, a, Jesus is high and lifted up. Indeed, Jesus does have a higher place of honor. In John 3.35, it says, the Father loves the Son and is giving all things into His hand. God didn't put all things in John the Baptist's hand. Right? Only Jesus holds the whole world. Only Jesus makes the world His footstool. Jesus is preferred above us and above John. But let's understand an additional thought on this higher place of honor. God loves His Son, Jesus. We all agree with it. God loves the Son. God loves His Son, His only begotten Son. We know that. The Father also loves us. Aren't you glad that the Father loves us? The God, the God also loves us. So much so that He sent His Son 
to die for us. That's, that's the demonstration of his love for us. That is and was the proof. But he loves eternally only, understand that God loves eternally only those who are his adopted sons and daughters. Remember, he loves the whole world. He's not willing that any should perish. But he loves eternally those that have come to him. Jesus says in John 16, 27, maybe you've read this verse and glossed right over it before. Jesus said in John 16, 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. How about that? The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have, there it is, our whole series, God, only believe. Because you have believed that I have come forth from God. Uh, you first have to believe Jesus came from God before you'll believe that you need him as Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, cleansing from sin. So uh, the first point is that you have to believe that he came from God. Our acceptance with God is predicated on our love and our faith and our surrender to Jesus. Jesus says it right here. Because, and by the way, you don't really love him until you first believed in him. Make sense? You can't love him first. You first have to, when you first heard the gospel, when I first heard it, uh, I believe the message was true, but I didn't surrender. I didn't give my life to Christ. I didn't put my full faith and trust. Jesus says, fall upon the rock and you'll be saved. If the rock falls upon you, you'll be ground into powder what he says. By the way, Jesus says a lot of things that, that many Americans are just not aware of. We're going to get to the, some of those in just a second. But we put our faith and trust in him. We first have to believe and then we start to love Christ. Then we start to love his uh, uh, commandments. But God the Father loves Jesus and us. But Christ has the preferred honor and position over us. Amen? He's the high priest. We come to him. He has the preferred, he, he's the high priest. We're not the high priest. He's the high priest. He has the preferred honor over us. We're not supposed to put anything on its equal. And even, even in Catholicism, uh, you have the Pope, which, uh, which, can, which literally means in, in place of Christ. No, 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 there's no in place of. No one's equal to, he has the high honor to put anything in place of or even beside is blasphemy to do that. No, Jesus has the high place. There's no one with that position of honor. And John understood that. Uh, John the Baptist, that is. Uh, I love, by the way, I love, this is not a new revelation, I love my wife. <laughs> and I love our three daughters unconditionally. But my wife has the preferred status over the four ladies in our house. I'm married to her, I'm not married to the kids. She has the preferred status, although I love all of them unconditionally and intensely and all of that stuff, my wife has the prefer preferred status, and the girls know it, by the way, that she has the preferred status when there's a final vote. Mom, what do you want? You know, that kind of thing. You know, I don't ask them for the final vote. I love them. But sat, by the way, sadly, this is off topic for just a second, but sadly many marriages fall, have fallen apart when parents put the children above the spouse. I've seen a lot of parents over the years, and they're, they end up in divorce later in life because they got nothing. They, the kids were number one. Don't do that. 
God has an order to things in this world, doesn't he? There's an order and it's for our protection. And it, but we understand, John understood his order. He's preferred before me. He understood the order. He accepted it. We don't want to resist the order or ignore the order. But the third and final truth uh, John the Baptist conveyed as he pointed to Jesus, the third one, this same one, the word Christ and Messiah was physically born after John, but he was alive before John. In fact, before time. And John understood this. He goes, he was before me because people chronologically had to time out, time out. We know both your families. You were born before Jesus. John's like, technically, yes, of the flesh, but not of eternity because he sits outside. He was well before me. He knew who I would be before I was even born. Jesus will actually make statements like this later in the book of John. And by the way, this would be true for all the apostles, every saint that ever lived from Adam and Eve till now. Jesus, of course, stepped into time to fulfill the will of the Father that all would have the opportunity to be saved, which we refer to as amazing grace. And Jesus is the giver of that grace. Let's look at our third and final point this morning. And by the way, those of you online, I hope you're paying attention you're listening up. Don't run back to the kitchen. Listen to this last. I know how. I've, I've actually watched from home before. I, I, I did it to see just how it goes a couple times. And I'm like, yeah, I get distracted too. And uh, tune out for a moment. And uh, I'll go pour another glass of milk or something like that. So listen up, those of you at home as well. The word of grace and truth, this last uh, point we want to look at this morning. Pick it up with me at the end of verse 14. Then we will look at verse 16 through 18. The end of verse 14 we already read, but let's look at it again. Uh, Begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, drop down. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So we see grace and truth mentioned, grace uh, grace for grace, and then grace and truth uh, mentioned a second time, and grace mentioned for the third time. But this full of grace and truth, we see this mentioned, the fullness of his grace and truth, or full of in verse 14, there's a never-ending fullness to Christ because all of his attributes are limitless and infinite. Would we agree with that? All of his attributes, they can't be measured. Just like we keep finding that the universe keeps going and going and going, Uh, That's the same way it is with all of Christ's attributes. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6.19. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Everything about God is a fullness. He has a fullness that he can provide. Uh, You and I don't have a fullness, but he has a fullness in everything. Everything about Jesus surpasses our knowledge we all have an intellectual cap at some point. Some people's IQ is hard. By the way, people with high IQs are not necessarily wiser. Many people with high IQ will unfortunately spurn the grace of God and end up in hell, and that's not a wise decision at all. So IQ is not what God looks at. He looks at a heart of receiving truth from Him. But everything about Jesus surpasses our knowledge. We all have an intellectual cap. We're like, I just can't Uh, Now I don't know what I don't know, right? Uh, We're just kind of spinning around at some point. But we do know this, from his fullness, he has lavished us with his love and his grace. 
Amen? He's lavished us. We, more grace. It, the fact that you and I are breathing this morning is more than we deserve. Let's understand again, God has not done this for everyone. I know this is not taught a lot anymore. Um, you'll sometimes watch, uh, you'll sometimes watch an award show or a Hollywood show, uh, award show or um, some sort of music awards, the Grammys, the People's Choice. There's like one every month now. So, but anyway, you've seen them all. Um, Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman are every one of them. But anyway, you see you know, all these award shows. And, you know, some will get up there and say something really godless or cursed, and then they'll say something like this, but we're all God's children. No, we're not. All of us understand God has not lavished His grace that He's talking about here on everyone. Uh, The provision is for everyone. The availability is for everyone. But is salvation and grace, going back to verse 7 and 12, and I don't have time to go back there, looking back at verse 7 and 12, it depends upon those who believe in and believe on Jesus. He came for the whole world, but it says that many did not receive him. They said, nope, don't want it. I want money, I want pleasure, I want immorality, but I don't want to believe in God. So people reject. We're not all God's children but God wants to adopt everyone. Uh, some of you are from the old school, those of you that are older, you remember the days before when parents are really, really kind of super lax in 2020 compared to like when I grew up in the 70s. There was a day when it went something like this. Breakfast will be served at such and such a time. If you're here, you'll get it. If you're not, don't ask for it later. Amen. Right? <laughs> so there was, there was a day and age that that, that was just normal. And it was considered grace and truth. The truth is you better be here when it's served. If mom slaved over the kitchen and made this, you better be here when it's served. And don't later say, I'm hungry. Well, I didn't didn't feel hungry then. You did not get a lot of, well, you know what? Let's just take you down the street to Chick-fil-A. It was like you ate it then. So it has to be received on the terms God gives it, right? Here's the terms. It's available. There's nothing preventing anyone from receiving it, but you still have to receive it. And so uh, understand that it says he came with grace and truth. Why is that important? The grace is marvelous, but the truth is essential. The grace is marvelous, but the truth is essential. Without truth, there is no grace. You have to have truth. The grace, uh, understand that Jesus, like John the Baptist who went before him, Jesus preached what? Repentance. Repentance. You had to turn from your sin. It wasn't an option. Say, you know what? You're all God's children, so you really don't have to repent after all. No. You had to repent. We'll get to a couple of verses. We're almost wrapping this up. But because of truth, uh, because the truth is given, we know that God tells us we're all in sin and darkness. That's the truth. We may not want to hear that. If God comes up to you, and like, like when I was in Miami, unsaved, the Holy Spirit showed me as I listened to a message and I finally responded to an altar call, I was confident. No one had to convince me I was a sinner. I saw the list in my mind. And I was like, no, 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 that, that, that would condemn me. That too, that, oh, well, that too, and, and that, and that, and that. And I looked at the list and I said, I'm guilty. But I needed truth to understand that. And the truth offends some and softens others. The truth will offend some 
and soften others. But as Jesus said, here's what the truth does for us. John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. free. Who doesn't want to be free? Who doesn't want to be free? By the way, a little side note here. In our political discussions, notice when you hear the word democracy, it's not the same as when someone here uses the word freedom. <laughs> Two different, one's a greater, one's a greater, they're actually both good, good principles, but one's a greater principle. Jesus said, I didn't come to make you a democracy. I came to make you free. Free. Freedom is what God offers. Freedom. Love tells us the truth so we can repent and be free from sin and from death and from guilt. It says Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is the truth. Not just full of the truth, he is the truth. It's one of his names, just like light or love or the word. And it's in loving truth that he tells us who we are and who he is and what we need. And Jesus said it really point blank here in Luke 13, 3. Likewise, I tell you, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Jesus does not mince words. This is a bigger, this is a bigger call than the breakfast analogy I gave earlier. He says you must repent, and you have X amount of time in your lifetime to repent, or you'll perish in your sins. And you don't want to perish in your sins. You want to receive the grace of God. No one will ever be able to blame God. If God throws a life preserver and you say, I don't want a life preserver, I would prefer a, a boat. Now you cling to what God gives. It's his grace. There's nothing hidden about Jesus. He told the truth of what we needed to hear, and the eternal consequences are true. But praise God, it's also true that his grace is greater than all of our sin. Isn't that great to know? His grace is greater than our sins if we respond to his sacrifice. It's his grace to give us his gospel. It's his grace to even give us his gospel. And so then those that have believed the gospel and those that have turned with repentance and believe in Jesus have received grace for grace, which is an interesting term and phrase. The the term grace for grace, it literally means grace instead of grace. It literally means grace instead of grace. Now God thinks on planes we don't think on. We wouldn't even write this. Grace instead of grace. What does that mean? Well, you can envision God's endless reservoir of grace, but this is also one of those statements, as I refer to sometimes, as a principle of duality, a concurrent meaning. In other words, that, that you, have a, you have a statement and it means multiple true things at the same time. I give the simple example of the fact that I am a husband, father, son, pastor, all at the same time. They're concurrent truths. But this concurrent truth that grace for grace, uh, it is the fullness of grace. It's like a flood of God's grace. We have the concept also here of the old covenant grace because the law and Moses is mentioned in the same passage. We have the concept of the Old Testament grace receding and the new covenant grace replacing. Does that make sense? The old has passed away. The new wine, if you will, the new grace of God um, in the person of Jesus. His eternal grace and salvation uh, flows here as well. Uh, but this is a statement that when we get to heaven, Jesus can explain more to us what grace for grace means. But we'll have to understand this morning just that his lavishing grace, the fullness of it, the um, receding of one and the bringing forth of the other brings us this amazing grace 
in Christ. And God gave through Moses the law, which of course is truth, uh, but Moses couldn't pardon sin. Moses couldn't provide a covering for sin. Moses couldn't offer eternal grace. As a matter of fact, Moses could only receive grace. Jesus, on the other hand, unlike Moses, unlike John, Jesus is the truth. He's the lawgiver. He's the law itself. He fulfilled the law, so he's the fulfillment of the law. And he also dispenses grace. So Jesus holds in his hand truth, which is the law, and grace, and he owns both. Just like it says he has the keys to life and death, law, grace, he holds the truth, all of these things, they'd be like many arrows in his hands. That makes sense? You ever seen those pictures? And many arrows in one hand. And Jesus dispenses as the risen Savior, the one who has conquered the grave, he now dispenses that grace. Grace and truth come through Christ to us. And when they come through him to us, we're changed forever. We're no longer under the weight of sin. Nor are we under the weight of the law, but we're now under grace. Isn't that great to know? And this last point, we bring it to a close here. We are born, uh, born, I'm sorry, uh, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Uh, This grace, once it's been received, and our hearts fully agree we, we don't like despise the law anymore. We, we love the law. It's been written on the tablets of our heart. We're, we're loving the fact that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love that, hey, we don't want to commit adultery. We don't want to lie. We don't want to steal. We don't want to kill. The, the law has been written in our hearts, and we want to walk in the ways of the truth. But as we're in Christ and we're brought into relationship with Him, Jesus can see the Father, so He brings us to the Father. He's in the book. He brings us. We talked about this in the marriage night. We're in Messiah. We're brought into relationship with the Father. And so I want to close with an Old Testament passage. Moses is mentioned here. And uh, you can turn to Exodus 33 if you want to. Uh, But I have just uh, one of the verses up on the screen, verse 19. And he says to to Moses, uh, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will Proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He also says in that same passage, starting in verse 17, I don't have time to turn there, but he says to Moses, you've received my grace. There's an Old Testament grace, but the New Testament fulfilling the grace of Jesus is we see that what Moses couldn't see, this is the same passage when Moses gets hidden in a rock and he can only see the backside of God's glory, This, what Moses saw saw in part, the apostles saw in fullness on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw the fullness of the grace, but also the fullness of the glory. And they saw firsthand that the name of the Lord was walking before them, but also in the flesh, a manifestation of all that Moses couldn't even look at, they now could see in the person of Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer, and we're going to uh, be taking the elements of communion in just a moment here. Lord, we thank you again that you sent your Son full of grace and truth. Lord, we needed the truth. We still need the truth. We needed it for salvation, but we still need it for daily living to, to be sanctified by your grace. And Lord, we know that these verses are true. Perhaps we've read these passages many times, and yet every time we study them, They go deeper into our soul and Lord, reveal to us more of our need for your truth 
and your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you tabernacled among us, Lord, that uh, you came with the incarnation, conquered death and sin with the resurrection, Lord, that now you tabernacle in us, that what Moses witnessed from a distance, now you now live inside of us. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you've written the law and the tablets of our heart through the grace of salvation. And just with your heads bowed, and I think everyone, um, no, actually we don't. We're going to be passing out the elements in just a second. But just with your heads bowed, uh, before we take the Lord's Supper, and this is our last thing this morning, if there's anyone here at all, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've not said yes to his free offer of salvation. Say, look, I've already paid the penalty for your debt of sin and death. If there's anyone at all and say, I know that's true, but I've never said yes to the Lord. I've never called upon the name of the Lord and said, please save me. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's anyone at all. There's someone online. I obviously can't see if you're watching online, but if you're raising your hand, anyone at all. I don't want to assume that everyone here knows Jesus. Anyone at all. But I would advise you, don't put it off. If you're watching online, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, call upon him today. Open up John chapter 3. Read it for yourself. Romans chapter 3. Read them and say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I Don't put it off. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. The coronavirus is just one of many things out there. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we want to take advantage of his grace today. Amen? Today.